two weeks ago, Pastor Kurt on, uh, preached on chapter 9, and here's your quiz. What was it about? So it was in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 9. That was the low-hanging fruit. Let's reach a little higher. What was chapter 9 about? What happened in chapter 9? Did anybody cry in chapter 9? Anybody worship in chapter 9? All right, you guys, get your Bibles out. Turn to Nehemiah. You're going to need to know what happened in chapter 9. And your next question on your quiz is what happened in chapter 8? Now, I know this is asking a lot. We're going back three weeks. Who preached chapter 8? Was that you, Matt? All right, what happened in chapter 8? They completed? Oh, they completed the wall. Nope, happened in chapter 7. In chapter 8, did anybody cry in chapter 8? They started to cry. In fact, the leaders went around and said, quit crying. You remember that? Quit crying. This is a day to celebrate. But what's interesting about chapter 8 is it ends the narrative about the rebuilding of the wall, and all of a sudden something happens. Ezra comes on the scene. Who's this Ezra guy? We haven't heard from, from him for years. And all of a sudden he's there, and he starts reading the law. In fact, it all happens in one month. And today I want you to be amazed with me at how much can change in one month's time when you get serious about your relationship with God. When you start to take the covenant relationship that you have with the Lord and you start to invest into it like it was a real relationship, like it really mattered, everything changes. In chapter 8, we saw the law being read. And they, start, and they did their, their, their feasts. It was the feast of... Trumpets first, and then it turns into the, and really quickly into the Feast of Booths, like in the, same, in the same month. I might be a little wrong. That's pretty much right though, right? So they were doing their feasts, and they were, for the first time in a long time, they were taking God's word seriously, and they were reading it. And, and so then in chapter 9, you have them reading it, and it talks about them all standing in their positions, and they just start reading God's word. And it says for four, day, for four hours, they start reading God's word. And they were so, uh, tears are just coming down their faces, and, and, and they were just so stirred in their hearts. And then what happened is they spent another four hours doing what? Chapter 9. Remember? Worshiping. And they have this prayer of worship. And what is the prayer of worship that they begin to, to worship? It's this remembrance. It's like the story. They start to go through the story of the salvation that their forefathers had from the land of Egypt when they were slaves, when they were told what to do and how long they had to do it. And they had no ability to decide for themselves what they were going to do. And God sends Moses, and he brings them out of that. And in the... In, at Mount Sinai, he gives them a covenant. He gives them words to understand who God is and God's heart for them and how he wants them to live. And there's a point there, and they're like, but we turned on you. Our necks were stiff, right? Remember that? The stiff-necked people. And so 
we get to the end of chapter 9, and I told you we're in chapter 10, but really the very end of chapter 9 is where our passage starts. It says, in view of all this, which is why we had to do that review there, because this all happens in the same month. In fact, what we're doing today happened right after they spent four hours reading God's word and four hours confessing their sin. Confessing their sin and hours worshiping. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement in writing on a sealed document containing the names of our leaders, Levites and priests. All right, so Nehemiah chapter 9 begins and launches into, it says, this is the binding agreement that we are making in writing with seals from our leaders and our priests. And then you can look at the first 27 verses of chapter 10. What's there? A lot of names. And then you get to 28. Or at, yeah, to 28, and all of a sudden, the names stop. It says, the rest of the people. <laughs> all right? So the first group of names, there's 84 people with names that are recorded, and they're the leaders, they're the priests and Levites that were wanted to be uh, uh, sealing this document. They're the official sealers of it. But the rest of the people were there. It says in verse 28, the priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, along with their wives, sons, and daughters, everyone who is able to understand and who has separated themselves from the surrounding peoples to obey the law of God, join with their noble brothers and commit themselves with a sworn oath to follow the law of God given through God's servant Moses and to carefully obey all the commands, ordinances, and statutes of Yahweh our Lord. Okay? This is a big moment. They're beginning to make a vow to renew their covenant the covenant relationship that they have with God. So uh, I was going to ask Dawn if you could help get the, the verses up there for Nehemiah chapter 10. Because a little bit later we are going to like read through those. Alright. So what we're going to do today is we're going to break down the passage. We just kind of broke down the section. Chapters 8 through 10. And what I'm, what I, I want to come back to that in a little bit. As you see there, we have God's word being read. We have the people confessing and worshiping. And then they start to ma they make a vow in chapter 10. And so that's the overview. And that's what happens in Nehemiah right after the story of the wall being completed. That's where we are today. All right? You know, the main difference. So in that worship time, God's people confessing and, and worshiping. We're going to talk about the main difference between us and them. And it's a critical piece. It's a critical piece that's going to become the cornerstone of where we spend the rest of our morning. You see, what happens is they had a story to look back on when they wanted to recount the covenant that was made between them and God. A very specific covenant of them in slavery in Egypt. 
And we have a story to look back on as well. And we have a covenant to reflect on as well. And that's the story of how Jesus takes us from slavery to our sin and frees us so that we can live for him, knowing him, where he created in us a new man and empowered us with his spirit and gave us a new identity as his children. So, like I said, we're going to break down this passage, but let me ask this. Let's think about this vow, this binding agreement. How many of you ever made a vow? All right, so vows, they're still part of our life today. What do we make vows about? Marriage. Brotherhood. Brotherhood. A, a vow for brotherhood. That's good. Wes? Okay, make a vow to take care of the flock. All right, so any other scenarios where we make vows? Binding agreements? Military, okay. On time payments, money, right? Promissory notes, whatever that means. Your mortgage, your deed of trust, right? These are all commitments that you're making. There's consequences for not fulfilling these vows. When you, yeah, yeah, the baptism moments or confirmed into ministry. Yeah, good Good, uh, good example. You know, vows to the Lord are really serious. I wanted to read Deuteronomy 23 for you, verse 21. It says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to keep it, because he will require it of you. It will be counted against you as sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, it will not be counted against you as sin. Be careful to do whatever comes from your lips. Because you have freely vowed what you promised to the Lord your God. So making a vow is serious. I mean, we've been talking about this with my son, JJ. Uh, JJ likes to make promises and then kind of be like, yeah, just kidding about that one. I appreciate what you did for me, but I'm not going to fulfill my end of the agreement, right? And so we've been working on that in our household. But what we say is, you're the one that made the promise. Now you have to do what you said, right? So that's one thing, making a vow to Hannah, you know, his older sister, versus making a vow to the Lord. The Lord will, I mean, he still expects us to be true to our word, but making a vow to the Lord is just a serious deal, as we see in Deuteronomy 23. And that's what they're doing here. So what do the Israelites make vows about? We make vows about marriage and money, commitments to military yeah, we make vows, and the Israelites made vows here. Let's look at them. Well, okay, what do, you, what do you guys know about the next this passage? Chapter 10, verse 28 and beyond. How about I read a section, you tell me what it was about. All right, so here we have all of the Israel, all the Israel leaders standing there, and they're, they're swearing this oath, and then this is what they say. A sworn oath to follow the law of God given through God's servant Moses, to carefully obey all the commands, ordinances, and statutes of Yahweh our Lord. We will not give our daughters in marriage to the surrounding peoples, and will not take their daughters as wives for our sons. Okay, in a couple words, what's that about? They made vows about 
marriage, all right, and who they're going to marry their sons and daughters off to, okay? When the surrounding peoples bring merchandise or of any kind of grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we will not buy from them on Sabbath or a holy day. We will also leave the land uncultivated in the seventh year and will cancel every debt. What were they making vows about? His decrees, what were they about? What was, give me the genre. Okay, this is about the Sabbath and certain things they were going to do now or not do on the Sabbath, right? So it was about keeping the Sabbath. And the year of Jubilee, which is every 49th year, but this is at the end of every seventh year where they cancel all debts that they have against each other. So in verse 32, we will impose the following commands on ourselves. To give an eighth of an ounce of silver yearly for the service of the house of our God. The bread displayed before the Lord. The daily grain offering. The regular burnt offering. The Sabbath and the new moon offering. And appointed festivals. The holy things. The sin offerings to atone for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. All right, how would you summarize that one? Commitment to give money to what? So it's about their money to the service of the house of God. For all the offerings the priests were giving, the work that they're doing, the utensils, to, and all the work that they're doing, right? All right. I don't know if that was a summary or if it was longer than what I actually read. All right. Verse 34. We have cast lots among the priests, Levites, and people for the donation of wood by our ancestral houses at the appointed times each year. They are to bring the wood to our God's house to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. A commitment to give wood to the service of the house of God. All the wood that the priests were burning. I take it they were burning a lot of wood. It's like being in Matt Potrat's camp when you're a camp, burning a lot of wood. But you know who's worse? Alex Gore. Is he here today? Wow, yeah, yeah. I was like, man, I could feel the heat from like two campsites over. All right, well, verse 35. We will bring the first fruits of our land and of every fruit tree to the Lord's house year by year. We will also bring the firstborn of our sons and of our livestock, as prescribed by the law, and will bring the firstborn of our herds and flocks to the house of our God, to the priests who serve in our God's house. Verse 37, we will bring a loaf from the first batch of dough to the priests at the storerooms at the house of our God. We will also bring the first fruits of our grain offerings of every fruit tree and of the new wine and oil. A tenth of our land's produce belongs to the Levites, for the Levites are to collect the one-tenth offering in all our agricultural towns. Okay, someone said tithe earlier. Now here's the tithe, right? A commitment to save up 10% as first fruits for those who are in service to the house of God. All the food and the all the food that the priests were eating. Ten percent. All right, verse 38. 
a priest of Aaronic descent must accompany the Levites when they collect the tenth, and the Levites must take the tenth of this offering to the storerooms of the treasury in the house of our God. For the Israelites and the Levites are to bring the contributions of grain, new wine, and oil to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are kept and where the priests who minister are according, along with the gatekeepers and singers. This part is interesting to me. They make a commitment. They all committed to give 10% of their first fruits to the Levites. Now the Levites, they were not partitioned land of their own. When they were all being distributed their, their various land rights, uh, the Levites didn't get their own chunk of land. They were spread throughout the land uh, and ministered, and this was the way that they were cared for. This is God's provision for the Levites who were to serve them in worship. God's provision for them was through 10% of everybody else's agricultural livelihood. And so that was the arrangement that was made for them when they were to go into the land. And here they are being like, yeah, we got to do it. We haven't been doing it. We need to do it. And then this one is 10% of the first fruits. So this is like, now you're a Levite, and your job is, okay, well, 10% of the 10% needs to be set aside and put in the storerooms. You see what I'm saying? So everybody came and they brought their 10%. Let's say there's a bunch of 10%. And then the Levite's job is, okay, well, this 10% needs to get put away into the storerooms, in the back room. We're, we're saving that up. It's, it's, it's consecrated in itself for, for something that God's going to do with it. But the rest of that was used for, and it actually talks about it in, in the law. This money was given to the Levites to, for their sustenance, for the foreigners, for widows, to take care of the needs of the people in the church, uh, in the Israelites, the family. Does that make sense? All right, and then verse, verse 39, the very end, I didn't read it. The last thing they say, we will not neglect the house of our God. A commitment to not neglect the house of God. What I find interesting in all this is, is that the vows, these are the vows that they chose to make in light of everything that they were reading. You know what I mean? They, were, they read the, the whole law, the whole Torah, which can account for Genesis through Deuteronomy, really. But it's very likely they were reading Leviticus, they were reading Deuteronomy, they were reading all these decrees, and they were realizing just how far they had missed the mark how far they had fallen from what, they were, what God had called them to do. In their response to reading like what we find in Deuteronomy 26. Deuteronomy 26, verse 16. It says, oh, I have it here, it's a bigger point. The Lord your God is commanding you this day to follow these statutes and ordinances. You must be careful to follow them with all your heart and all your soul. Today you have affirmed that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways. 
keep his statutes, commands, ordinances, and obey him. And today the Lord has affirmed that you are his special people. As he promised you, that you are to keep all his commands. That he will elevate you to praise, fame, and glory above all the nations he has made. And you will be a holy people to the Lord your God as he promised. When you read Deuteronomy, it's amazing, or Leviticus, there's a bunch of laws, and it's easy, like some of them are like, what in the world, like what kind of law is that? But what pops out over and over is God's heart to have a people who are separated unto himself. God is looking for a people that's called out and separated unto himself, dedicated to knowing him and loving him and living in his light. God was looking for a people to be set apart, as we see in that passage right there. And there was a bunch of, bunch of tons of rules in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, but it's very clear that there were some of them that really gripped their heart, and they realized these things, we are not measuring up. We're not doing it the way God wanted us to. And it was a process of first realizing what they were doing wrong and then repenting or confessing their sin. Yeah, God, we're not measuring up. And then worshiping, which was a remembering back to the story of their salvation and that led to them And I want to live differently. I want to move forward in line with what God has asked me to do. Because of his salvation story. Because of the covenant that I've made with him. Because I realize that I'm falling short. And because I see clearly what God wants from me. Because it's in his Torah. It's in his law. This is the process of covenant renewal. God wants a people. Let me ask you this. Does God want a people? Does God still want a covenant people? Is Jesus still winning his bride? Let's go to Ephesians 5. I bet you I can get there faster than you. So in Ephesians 5, what it says about Christ and the bride. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing water by the word, he did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. The picture of marriage, Christ and the church, Christ longs for his bride to be in covenant with him. You know, we say, we say these things when we make these vows, richer and poorer, in sickness and in health, 
forsaking all others till death do us part. It's the same thing with the Lord. It's just like until death do we finally get to see it all for what really is. But that's God. Our covenant in marriage is much like our covenant between Jesus and his, and his bride and his desire to be one with and to have relationship with and to be um, connected to intimately to his, to his people. Why does God still want a covenant people today? Why does he still want a covenant people? What do you guys think? Why does God still want a covenant people? What? Because he wants to walk with us? Yeah, that's good. Because of his love for us? You sure that it's not because he wants to just control us? Sure, it's not that he doesn't want just to make us obey all these things that we don't want to obey. He wants to see us work for it. He wants to see us try harder. He wants to see us strive. No. Let's look at some of these. In Titus chapter 2. Is that back there? For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godliness. Oh. Instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse us for, uh, for himself, a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Say these things, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. He does want a people for himself. But you know, the, the thing about that makes us different from them is, is their focus on the law. Because we have verses like in Galatians that say, why are you so focused on the law? Why are you so focused on all these commands and these regulations? And this kind of sounds kind of like it doesn't mesh, right? You foolish Galatians. This is from Galatians chapter 3. You foolish Galatians. Who has hypnotized you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was vividly portrayed as crucified. I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now going to make, are you now going to be made complete by the flesh? Did you suffer so much for nothing? If in fact it was for nothing. So, so then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And so we have in Galatians this, this beautiful argument that Paul explains. And it's like, why are you so focused on the law, the law, the law? 
here, they're reading Deuteronomy. And you know what Deuteronomy says? Like, how would you, how would you, if you needed to sum up all of Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and all these laws, how would you do it? Somebody came to Jesus, said, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. So that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. They were just reading Deuteronomy chapter 6. They read it for hours. All of Deuteronomy unfolds. And they're in Leviticus, and it says in Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus has to spend some time saying, well, who's your neighbor? Yes. And so we say, well, Jesus set us free from the, all, the, all the laws, right? So that we could just focus on love. So we could just focus on love. Love's all we need. Right? Maybe. Unless you just redefine love to be whatever you want it to be. If you can make love out to be whatever it is that you think love is, then you could put anything under that thing and say, I'm following Jesus' new law, his new way forward. But it just said Jesus wants a people to himself. Jesus wants a people set apart who are, what? Going to deny godlessness, to deny worldly lusts. He wants men women who will live in a sensible, righteous, godly way in the present age while we wait for our coming Savior, for his glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from the lawlessness and to cleanse himself of people who are eager to do what is good and who are his own. He died so that we can be free Galatians chapter 5, Christ has liberated us to be free. I ask, why did God still want a covenant people? He wants a people who are free. Brothers, stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. And then he goes on, he's like, if you're going to follow the law, and he talks about circumcision, then you're then try to obey all of it. If you're going to get this salvation by works, then you just try to follow every single one, every single command that's out there. He's arguing against the self-righteousness of the people who think that they can earn it, that they can figure it out, and they're, they're, they're stuck not understanding the new way that Christ has opened up through his body on the cross access to the Lord, a covenant relationship, but how do you get into it? I'll just read it. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And so, we get into the covenant by faith in Christ. It says in verse 3, 13, You were called to be free. 
That's what he's called you to do. But don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. They were, they were Israelites. They had it made. They were in the family. They had the promises. They had Moses. They had the angels, the power and the glory. They, they had the temple. They had the Ark of the Covenant. They had an opportunity here for their flesh. And they started to ignore the God who won them and brought them out of slavery. And with stiff necks, they turned from him. And they started to do what was in their flesh, what they wanted to do. And they had one foot in, we'll go and we'll let the priest offer the sacrifice for me. I'll turn in my dove or I'll turn in my, you know, ewe lamb. But their hearts were so far from the Lord. And, and here's the thing. We're just as susceptible today of, of being just as lukewarm as the Israelites were then. And we've got to be careful that we don't let ourselves go lukewarm. Lukewarm is like, yeah, I'm kind of good, and I kind of just sin over here, and I kind of live this lifestyle too. And, and like, like, that's okay. But I'm not, I'm not standing up here telling you, I can't like sit here and point out like there's this and there's this that you need to, you know, your life, you need to do this. You know, you need to change this. The covenant renewal happens when you begin to take God seriously. Because he's given you his spirit. I'm not really interested in your moralism. I'm not really interested in like convincing you, you live in this box and you check off all these behaviors and, and we'll call it good. We'll assume you're getting in, in, the, in that day. You know what I mean? That's not how the new covenant works. It talks about he put his spirit within you. His law is on your heart now. And you have to, and, and so how, you, how are you going to get back to a place where you, are, you and Jesus are together and you're, you're, you're moving forward with him? Well, there's this process called repentance, and we've been talking about it all morning. The process starts in chapter 8 where they read God's word and they're confronted with who he is and who he wants them to be. And then in chapter 9 when they say, you know what, God, you're right. And I am not doing that. I'm a stiff-necked jerk. And, the, and then this part. This is the part. I'm going to ask this question first. How do you restore your covenant relationship with God? To restore your commitment to be his. All in. What would it look like for you to make a covenant renewal? And I said it starts with reading God's word. Confession of where you fall short. But this is the part right here, guys. The worship. They spent hours and hours worshiping. And what is, what is it that I want to like say about that? They thought through the story of their salvation. And that's what you have to do. Anytime you're going to renew your relationship, which you should probably do almost like every morning, maybe every other hour, it's like coming before the Lord and say, God, I know what I just did didn't measure up. 
But let me think back through your gospel. And this is where we fall short. This is what we stop doing. We get tired of preaching to ourselves the story of the gospel, but it is the most amazing story. It's the one story that you're going to want to repeat to yourself over and over and over. Worship is receiving and declaring the truth of the new covenant for yourself. Starting from the time, it says it's just the right time. Jesus Christ laid down his life. Well, you are still a sinner. Admitting, God, you know who I am. You knew before today just how sinful I could be, how off base I could get. But you took your, your position in heaven and you submitted your will to the Father and saying, not my will, but your will. And you did that, and it says that you did that because of the joy set before you, that somehow you saw a future while I was still a sinner. You saw a future for me, a life for me. Think of, think of uh, Kurt's favorite verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, You know, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. A future. He sees who you are, who you really are in him. He sees you through the lens of Christ's righteousness. He's not just sitting there looking at all your faults, but he's calling you to him. He's calling you to a relationship, to a covenant. And he's got life abundant for you, the abundant life. The abundant life consists of some, some of the, the, the hardest things to walk through. But he's there. Some of the deepest sorrow, but he's there. And some of the most exciting times you can imagine. It's like what Paul prayed for in Philippians. At the end, he says, I want to know, I want to have life in you. I want to share in the, the fellowship of your sufferings and the power of your resurrection. I want it all. And that's what you can enter into as a as a follower of Christ, because he set you free. And that's what's beautiful. It's a picture of freedom. But just don't use this as an opportunity to serve yourself, to excuse yourself. Otherwise, why did he die? He didn't come just to make you feel better. He came to set you free from the shackles of your slavery to yourself. To your flesh. All right. I'm not saying that a covenant re- renewal this moment is like something extra, like, you know, it's not like you've got salvation and then later you make it better by doing this thing and then you got, you know, then you're all in. Um, you're already in a covenant. You know what I mean? You, you're already His. He's already bought you at a price. If you've believed and you received his gospel, this isn't about whether or not you're going to get in. It's like, are you going to get in by the skin of your teeth? Are you going to get in and you're going to hear from the Father, well done, good and faithful servant? You know what I mean? It's like if we don't take God's word seriously, if we begin to neglect it, 
then we start to drift. And your behaviors look more and more lukewarm. And you're not the light. I asked earlier, why does God want to call uh, his own covenant people to himself? Why does he want a covenant people? Number one, he wants a people for himself so they can be all that from Titus chapter 2. And then I said, it's for freedom. (laughs) I just lost what I was going to say. All right, so let's, let's, get, let's get real. So what happens is, where does this all begin? We've been talking about it. It begins with God's word and you putting it in your heart and your mind. Romans 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren. That's the King James Version. That's the one that I memorized. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be renewed in your mind, so that you may be able to test and approve whatever, what God's will is, his good and perfect will. Renewing your mind. That's where it starts. You want to quit drifting. You want to get serious with God. You want to be his. You want to be part of his people. Start with reading the word. You know what I would have you do? I would have you join the elder and leadership team for 14 days of prayer. We're finishing up 14 more days of prayer. And we have been praying already for about a week But we're asking God, what do you want us to be? Who do you want us to be in this community? And how can we use your resources for that? I want to ask you to join us as an elder and deacon leadership team as we pray about, I want you to ask, who does God want us to be? And how does he want us to invest his resources into his kingdom purposes. They had specific things that they vowed to. I'm not asking you necessarily to vow to those things. Those things came up as they read God's word, as they confessed where they felt they were, they were led by this, like they were convicted, and where they, they felt like they needed to make changes. And we have areas. Does anybody not have an area that could be more conformed to Christ? Okay, good. They were all here. I'm talking to the right people. So consider, consider this. We've just spent three, well, four, four weeks because of one week where we did the Psalms. Four weeks talking about being a, a covenant people. Renewed covenant before the Lord. And that's what I'm asking us to do. Spend 14 days. It all happened in one month for them, right? One month. They started reading God's word and everything about their future was changing. There were things they were pruning, cutting out, things that they were going to start to do. It affected their marriage. It affected their kids. It affected their money. It affected their worship. Everything about their life, their economy, was changed in about a month. 14 days of prayer. Who does God want us to be as his church? He wants us to be, oh, this is the thing that I was going to say. He wants us to be a voice of hope. He wants us to be a light in our community. 
How does God want us to be a voice of hope in our community? 14 days of prayer. Remember Psalm 127, verse 1, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless God is building his church, we can just keep spinning our wheels. But if God is building the kingdom, then his workers just might find success. God is successful in what he enterprises. Am I right? Maybe this. Why don't you, in your prayer, go through the various rooms of the church, the different corners of our facility in your mind's eye, the kids' classrooms, uh, youth ministry spaces, church lobby, the, the, the sanctuary in here, the offices. Pray for God to build his kingdom in these spaces. What is God doing with this church and with us to be a voice of hope using his kingdom resources for his kingdom purposes. Pray for our church to be a light in the community. Pray for our church to be a voice of hope, like I said, and ask the Lord, how can I help the church be a voice of hope? You know, and beyond the 14 days of prayer, I would ask you to make a commitment to read God's word for 14 days. I know that some of you are like, well, I'm gonna read it every day already, Jeff. Well, then I'm not exactly challenging you, right? But there's plenty of you sitting out here that, like, reading God's word is just kind of like, sometimes happens and sometimes doesn't. And I'm saying, let's make it happen for the next 14 days as we pray every day. Let's read God's word every day. You know what? If reading God's word is difficult for you and understanding what it means and what you're supposed to get from it, I want to let you know about something. In two weeks, Kurt is starting. Pastor Kurt, if he comes back by God's grace and good health, he will start a class called Discovering God Together on Wednesday nights here at the church. And it's going to be how to study God's word, what questions to ask. And to feel confident that you're thinking about it in terms that you were supposed to think about it. I would encourage you to go to that class, Discovering God's Word. Or it says Discovering God Together. Is that the name of it? You were, you were there once, Sherry. Well, is that right? I think it's Discovering God Together. All right, finally. In 14 days, it'll be July 9th. That's a Saturday. And I want you to maybe write a note. Write a note to one of the leaders or the generic, the leadership team. And I want to ask you to talk about this commitment that you've made to pray and read God's word. What has he stirred in you? Is there anything that you need help with to understand or to work on? Maybe you need accountability. Men, that morning, Saturday night, there's a men's breakfast, and it's all about freedom. It's the freedom men breakfast, and I want to encourage you to be there, men, and I want you to consider being able to share how God has been stirring in you and working freedom in your life. Freedom to be his called out one, to be his child, to be a man in his community, in his family. Uh, women, I want you to talk to each other about those 14 days. And that Next day, Sunday, the 10th, there's a, a leadership team meeting. The elders are going to be getting together and meeting and praying and discussing uh, matters of the church. And I hope that this can be a part of that meeting. 
That's it. Praise the Lord. Okay, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, have opened your word. We've looked at what you did in the life of your, your called out chosen people during this time when Ezra opened up the word to them in the seventh month. Lord, and you, you stirred their hearts, God, through your word and through the leader's teaching and through their own conviction to want to do what you asked them to do. God, I pray that we would see ourselves as your called out ones, Lord. I pray that we would set ourselves apart for you, that we would choose your ways, that we would submit when we're confronted where our ways aren't measuring up to your ways. Lord, give us humble hearts. May we be learners. May we be learners under your yoke. I pray that we would know your grace. Lord, in this next 14 days, as we look to your word, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, God. Stir in us a passion to know you and to live the abundant life that you've offered us. I pray that there'd be things, God, that we shed, that we get rid of, that we lay aside all the weight, all the encumbrances, so that we can just run the race with perseverance, the race that's marked out for us. We give that to you, Lord. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.